want to remind all of you that have not picked up a key yet, if you were here last week and didn't get one or if you would like one today, just a lot of us are carrying these keys around, a blank key to remind God that we want to give him access to every door in our life and the opportunity to not only open doors that we've been keeping shut, but the opportunity for him to lock some doors in our life that we need to stay away from. So you can pick those up at the Connection Center uh, after the service if you would like. It's in a little pot out there. And I hope you guys will sign up as men for Holy Grit. Uh, I know that we, um, we planned that specifically around football because we knew that you would want to watch the football games in between. So that's why it is that we're waiting until February to do that. That's part of the courtesy of the NFL. But um, Dr. Register, a longtime friend of mine, is a legend back in Mississippi. Uh, he's been the president of the Baptist, uh, Baptist Convention back there. He, some of you will recall the name of Calvin uh, Miller. He was truly a legend as well as a pastor and an author. And uh, before he died, he said, there's only one person that I want to speak at my funeral, to preach my funeral, and that's Dean Register, and Dean did. So lots of good material for us to cover. I hope you'll participate in that. And I want to challenge you as men. Uh, I think if we're not careful as Christians, we will look for uh, the key to lock out certain priorities that we should have, and we look at things like this as, I don't do that, I don't do small groups, or I don't do Wednesday nights. I would like for us to look at it from a different angle as men. Would your involvement possibly have an impact on someone else? We so often look at it from what will I get out of it instead of what could I give. Many times our presence simply encourages other people to engage. That goes across the board for our church. And so I want us to, to think about that. I'm going to uh, lead us in a prayer. Likewise, many of you have heard about the great tragedy out at First Baptist Church, Hampshire. A young youth minister at the age of 26 preached to the youth on Wednesday night. Thursday had an aneurysm and passed away. He leaves a young, pregnant widow. And we as a church want to be thinking heavily about our involvement as to how we can help that young lady can't even begin to imagine to be a 20-something pregnant, unexpectedly lose your husband, all that that means. So would you join me as we pray for Kennedy Long and the loss of her husband, Blake? Father, we come with very heavy hearts this morning thinking about uh, this unbelievable tragedy that we have a difficult time even beginning to process. Think about this young lady who has woken up to a brand new reality this week that she never dreamed was possible. Please minister to her, provide her with the comfort and strength that she needs and the provisions that she needs. As she steps into widowhood, such an early time in life and preparing to be a young mom. We pray for Bruce as he leads that church through this time of such difficulty that you would give him wisdom and discernment, that you would comfort each and every person in that church as they deal with that and minister to Kennedy. We think about our dear friends, Sean and Vanessa Mills and Laurel and Harold. Please minister to them and use them as a catalyst for ministry within that church. 
Father, remind us again that to whom much is given, much is required. You have blessed us with the DNA of generosity. Show us what we need to do to help out in situations such as this. And remind us, Lord, that when we take unnecessary time to complain about the circumstances of our life, to think of moments like this, instead of fretting what we're enduring, help us to look at ways that we can help others. We ask in your name. Amen. Well, today, as we begin this series called Route 66, we're going to be highlighting 66 of the Bible, 66 books of the Bible. We're going to pick out some overarching themes, kind of give a little description of the book, and note how each book points us to Jesus Christ and eternal life, which he has to offer. But before we go there, I can tell that all of you are very fanatic football fans because you always play the spread offense on Sunday mornings. And so you guys do pretty well, but let's just get a little bit closer. Some of you already complained that it's too cold in here. Let's just move a little bit closer to one another uh, if you have room in your pew. And you will find a unique dynamic will happen. You'll start laughing in just a minute when you start moving towards each other. And you will feel a sense of better connectedness. And if you're married, just take this as an opportunity to move closer to your spouse. But uh, sometimes we come to church and we sit... If a picture was made, it would communicate we really don't like each other, and I know that's not true. So we need to kind of come together. And I know sometimes we come together like porcupines, you know, once we come together, it kind of prickly each other. Well, as we think about this series, we're, we're using the theme, and you look at the, the, um, the slide up there, kind of gives us a clue to where we're going. We're going down a road. Route 66 was one of the original highways in the United States when they started numbering highways in the new highway system. It was established in November 11th, 1926. It's one of the most famous roads in the country. It runs from Chicago, Illinois, through Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, my home state of Arizona, and ends out in Santa Monica, California, 2,400 miles. It's been recognized in pop culture through songs in 1946. Those of you old enough, you get your kicks. Got it. New 66 television series ran in the early 60s. And for those of you that like Pixar and Disney, you remember the, the animated series Cars featured. That's it. John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath, written in 1939 symbolize this particular highway as an escape, loss, and hope of a new beginning. It's been known as Will Rogers Highway in the main street of America. Route 66 was a primary route for those who were migrating to the west, especially during the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. It supported economies and communities along the way, and that's why it was so resisted when the interstate system came through and it was going to bypass all of these small towns. It gives us a great backdrop for what we're going to be studying because we will be going down a pathway through the 66 books of the Bible. And as we look at each one of the books, we're going to find that all of them you can see off to the right as you follow that slide down the road, you see a cross because each of the books of the Bible point to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. One of the reasons I hope that this series will help us is because it's always nice to know more about the Bible so that it can inform our lives as we live them. 
In an article titled, Americans are fond of the Bible but don't actually read it, very interesting title, research discovered that more than half of Americans have read little or none of the Bible, half. So if you're wondering what the problem with America is, that's part of it right there. Of the reasons for not reading it, 27%, it's just not a priority. 15% feel they just don't have time. 13% said they've already read enough of the Bible. They know it well enough, they've covered that, done, been there, done that. But the statistic that I want us to focus on is 9% don't see how it relates to them. And so my hope for this series is that it will help us to use the Bible to, more, to be more relatable in our own lives. Church attendance and Bible engagement, this is important for us to remember. They go hand in hand, study after study after study show that as you read the Bible and as you attend church, the two mesh together. The more often Americans attend church, the more likely they are to read the Bible daily. And for those who don't read the Bible much, they don't attend church much. So as we think about informed decisions about life, it's important for us to be informed about the life owner manual that we should all be reading. It was evangelist Billy Graham who said, if you are ignorant of God's word, you will always be ignorant of God's will. It's important for us to know what the Bible says and how it relates to us. Professor and author Paul Little concurred with Graham with a rhetorical question. Has it ever struck you that the vast majority of the will of God for your life has already been revealed in the Bible? So it's important for us to know something about the Bible each one of these books, as we look at them, some of them you'll know much better than others, and sometimes uh, you will find that you're disappointed, and so let me give you a disclaimer. You will be disappointed with this series. I won't cover something that you thought I should, or you won't find it as interesting as you hoped it would be. So would you join me that we simply pray that God would use this time together the way that he desires? you will get bored. Now, some of you are saying, we always get bored. So what's new? I just wanted you to know that from the get-go. The Bible. One story in 66 books. One story in 66 books all chapters of the same story, pointing us to one central theme. We need help, and Jesus is our only hope. When we think of the Bible, oftentimes we have a collection of stories, and, and we know them, but we're not exactly sure how they relate together. I hope that you continue to read the Bible, and it's making a lot more sense, and for many of you, it already does make sense, and you know how the stories uh, interchange with one another. But oftentimes we will find it, it's just a, a compilation of many stories and we're not exactly sure of the point. So I hope that you will take this simple thought, refine it however you want, but know as you open this Bible, this book, you will find that it's one story in 66 books and that story is this, we need help and Jesus is our only hope. Now each week when we uh, start a series off, we talk about a sermon, 
I point you in the direction of the Pew Bible because you may not have your Bible with you. Sometimes it's easier to follow in the same translation that I'm using in the New International. And what fun today for me to say, if you would like to turn to Pew Bible page one. Isn't that fun? Pew Bible page one. We're looking at Genesis today. And as you take some notes along the way, or you may want to take pictures of slides up here, or you just may want to sit there and do something else. But I want to remind you of just some thematic words that help us to understand this book of 50 chapters that would probably take you about three hours to read. One book. And the themes that you will see are the problem, the promise, the plan, the people, and the purpose. And I know that sounds very preacherish, with all starting with a P, but they help us to see just the scope of Genesis. We're going to see that we're introduced to the problem of our sin and the promise that God gives us, that he has a plan to establish a people with a purpose to redeem mankind back to him. As you think about Genesis, it means beginnings, origin. That's the title, the word. We find that it's written by Moses. We don't know exactly when all of this began. We know that Moses wrote it, but we don't know the span because Genesis covers more time in one book than any other book that we're aware of yet. And I say that because we know the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation could cover an enormous amount of time because we don't know when the end is going to come. But as we go back to Genesis, we don't know when the beginning actually is. If you have a study Bible with Schofield notes in it, King James, you might find down at the bottom that it says creation was at 4004 BC. That was one person's assumption based upon limited information, and it's just a guess. We don't know when creation was established, and we all know that there are people who believe in a young earth and an old earth, Christian and non-Christian alike. But what we need to see is that God is not trying to communicate with us exactly how everything happened. But we need to realize that it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, can you fill in the next word? In the beginning, God created. He is the one that has created all that we see and all that we do not see. How did creation take place? That has tripped up a lot of people. And I'll just tip my hand right now. I believe that creation took place in a literal six days. Some people will say, now you've communicated that you're uneducated, uninformed, or you're not very smart. But I want to remind us of something. And let me just weed through a couple of things here. You're free to believe however that you want. I will just say from my perspective... God is so big, I believe that he could have created it in six seconds. Amen. He doesn't need an inordinate amount of time. I think oftentimes we, we defer to missing over Isaiah 55, 8, in which God says, his thoughts and his ways are not our ways and our thoughts. In Exodus chapter, and I'm not trying to convince you of this, I just want to give you my perspective, and you're welcome to make whatever assumptions that you want, okay? As we talk about Genesis, we find that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, 
God established the fourth commandment. It is the longest of the Ten Commandments. He's establishing the Sabbath. And it's there that it says, in six days, God created the heavens and the earth. And that establishes a contrast between us and God. What do you oftentimes say at the end of your week? I didn't get much done. And we contrast with that, and God says, in six days, I created everything, I'm done, and it's very good. It's to help us to see the difference between the creator and the creation. And we oftentimes struggle with the idea that, that we can fully comprehend. And that's why we need these ways to make God fit into our mold of how things had to happen. Again, I'm trying to say I believe what Scripture says. And there are very good scholars that will say that the six days could be six eras. But repeatedly through Scripture, we find references to the six days of creation. Again, people would say, well, you're obviously a pretty, you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. You look at geology, and what does it tell us? Obviously, the, old, the earth is very old. But have you ever heard of a disease called pageria? It's a very rare genetic disease in which young children age incredibly fast. So by the age of seven or eight, they look like a person in their 80s or 90s. Their life expectancy is 15 to 20 years tops. It's a person that is only chronologically eight or nine or 10 or 11 or 12, but they look like they're very old. I just use that as an example to say, so oftentimes we think we know all that there is to know about the world, and we may just be deceived, confused. Confused may be better than deceived. People say the creation story is contradictory. The sun wasn't created until the fourth day, but on the first day, God said, let there be light. That doesn't wash. But we go to the end of the 66 books, and we find in Revelation 21, verse 22, and Revelation 22, 25, that when we move to the other bookend of the Bible, we will find God saying, there's no longer a need for a son because God's glory is the light. When God said, let there be light on the first day, and then created the sun on the fourth day, what was happening on the first day was God saying, hey, I'm here. And light occurred, the glory of God. Here's my position on creation. I'm dumb enough as it is already. And so I'm not going to speculate that I have it all figured out. Because as I look at creation, and remember, it was just when I was a kid, we were talking about a very small universe. And now with the James Webb telescope up there, 
We can't even comprehend it. I'm going to give you a quote about that in just a moment. But just think about creation for a moment, of how big God is. We know where the sun is. It's the closest thing we have. It's 93 million miles away. 93 million miles. It takes light eight minutes to travel from the sun to us. We now know that the universe, based upon what scientists and astronomers tell us, the sun is 93 million miles away, but the expanse of the universe from side to side is 93 billion light years. 93 billion light years, and it continues to expand. Here's what's said of the James Webb telescope that was launched uniquely on Christmas Day, 2021. It says the James Webb Space Telescope discovers enormous, dense, distant galaxies that should not exist. Giant, mature galaxies seem to have filled the universe shortly after the Big Bang, and astronomers are puzzled. Nobody expected them. They were not supposed to be there. I wonder if we might just agree with science that maybe what we thought was true may not actually be true. Some of you are reading through the Bible right now and you've come to Job and Job just fits right in with where Genesis is. In fact, many think that Job actually comes before Genesis in time and it does when you're talking about some of the events. In Job 26, 14, it reminds us that all of creation is but a whisper of God's power. So when we look out of the vastness of creation, we should scratch our heads in bewilderment about how big it is and to know that God spoke it into existence in just six days. And it's but a whisper of his power. So as we go through Genesis, we see the problem, the promise, the plan, the people, and the purpose. The problem arises in the fall, after creation. God has a relationship with man, and they walk in the garden together with Adam and Eve experiencing a relationship with God that is unbroken, unhindered. And in Genesis chapter 3, we find that sin enters into the world, but as we read over that story, and we talked about this several weeks ago, when we look at original sin, what was the original sin? They ate from a tree that God had told them not to. And when we look at that, we say to ourselves, this is not Bourbon Street in the French quarters during Mardi Gras. It just doesn't look that bad. But what's taking place is, is disobedience is rebellion. And that's why the fall occurs, sin enters the world, and we are separated from God. Those of you who are parents, you know that when your child disobeys you, they are what? They're in rebellion against you because they are choosing to do something contrary to what you are telling him or asking them. Sin separates us from God, and it has impacted creation more than we can ever comprehend. People tend to believe in all of the climate change uh, strategy, and I'm not discounting issues that are there, but the whole idea that somehow we can fix creation is a myth. Sin has impacted creation, and it will until God returns. 
So we have the fall, sin comes into the world, and we see how bad it is by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, and God says he's going to hit the reset button against humanity's rebellion, and we have the flood. And so all that were born prior to that time, only eight people go into the ark, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and each one of them having a wife. Eight people in the ark, all the God's creation that he is saving go into the ark. And God hits the reset on the humanity, on the wickedness of humanity. There's a problem, a big problem. The Bible just continues to roll out the significance of that problem and the fact that until we realize the problem, we won't understand the promise and God's plan. So God makes a promise that we'll see in just a moment from Genesis chapter 3. But he also has a plan. God is not surprised by sinfulness, and so he has a plan to redeem us and bring us out of our sins so we can have a relationship with him. And so he calls a person, establishes a people, and that's Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is called out to address the problem because God establishes a people that will have a purpose of communicating to the world God's redemptive plan. Abraham is called in Genesis 12, Through 12 through 25, we have the life of Abraham. He establishes a covenant with him in Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis 15, 6, that great passage that Paul would repeat in the book of Romans. And listen to how it is stated in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed and God credited it to him as righteousness. It wasn't on his own. God was the one that credited it to him as righteousness. And God said to Abraham, you and Sarah who do not have children, I'm going to provide through you a mighty nation that will point people to me. And Abraham is 75 when he hears those words. It'll be another 25 years before he has the son of the promise, Isaac. What a great story. I hope you'll take the time to read that. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, neither Abraham or Sarah She's, uh, she's old. He's old. They're both in their 90s, and they're going to have a baby, and they both laugh. And the beauty of God is this, is that he names Isaac, that child, that impossible child, he names that child Isaac, because Isaac means what? It means laughter. God smiles upon us. We have a problem, but God smiles upon us by sending the child of redemption, this picture of what God would do. Abraham's only son of the promise. And in Genesis 22, we have that story uh, in the piece of history in which God asked him to sacrifice Isaac, his only child, on Mount Moriah, which become the place in which the temple of Solomon would be established, and it would be the very area in which Jesus Christ would be sacrificed, like Isaac was pictured to be at Mount Moriah. It's a picture that points us to Christ. From Genesis 27 to 36, Jacob takes the center stage. So we have Abraham, who has Isaac, who has the twins of Jacob and Esau, and Jacob uh, deceives his brother into getting the birthright, and he takes center stage. And the key verse for us to see there is Genesis 28, 16, when Jacob is fleeing from his brother who wants to kill him. And he sleeps on a rock in the middle of a field. 
And in the night, God gives him a dream called Jacob's Ladder, in which God demonstrates to us that he will descend down to us so that we can ascend to be with him. And in Genesis chapter 28, verse 16, when Jacob wakes up the next morning, he says, surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it, which is so often the case for all of us. Surely God was in this place, but I was not aware of it. Jacob has a dozen boys, and Joseph is the one that will take the center stage from Genesis chapter 37 through 50. And we know about the dream of Joseph and the fact that Joseph was taken down into Egypt, and ultimately the people of God would be taken down into Egypt for 400 years. And interesting enough, as we go back to Genesis 15, when God is establishing the covenant with Abraham, he says, your people, this nation that I will establish, by which you do not yet even have one son, this great nation of yours will go down into Egypt, and he tells them exactly how long it's going to be. For 400 years, they will be enslaved and mistreated, but then I will bring them back. And that's where Genesis ends. Vast sum of history, taking us from the very beginning of creation, the problem of sin entering into the world, and the revealing of God's plan. Mile marker to the cross. Each book will try to find the mile marker to the cross, and I want to point you to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You have to go all the way over to page 5 in the Pew Bible for this one. This is one of those verses that the first time I saw it and heard it described. I was a freshman in college, in Old Testament history, and professor would say to us, Dr. Puckett, this is the first promise of a Messiah. I was disappointed when I read it. But I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Who is God speaking to? He's speaking to the serpent. And he is describing... This is what scholars all point to as the very first promise of the Messiah. And the fact that one is coming who will crush the head of the serpent even though he will strike at the heel of humanity. Genesis 3.15 points us in the midst of the fall, the very chapter that talks about sin coming into the world, it reveals God's plan that he has a Messiah that will come and redeem humanity from sin. Theologian J.I. Packer stated, whatever else in the Bible catches your eye, don't let it distract you from him. All of Scripture is but a compass that points us to true north of Jesus Christ. So as we wrap this up, where do you find yourself in Genesis? Do you realize that we have a problem? Are you thankful for the promise that God has given us to redeem us from our sins? The fact that he has a plan and that he established a people, and we'll learn more of that as we go, but he's established a people. He chose Abraham to build a nation that would be a blessing to the world. What is that blessing? to communicate who God is to a humanity that looked in so many different directions to see who God was. It would be Abraham 
who would introduce to the world monotheism of worshiping the one true God. The late evangelist Leonard Ravenhill said, the Bible is either obsolete or it's absolute. It's either absolute or it's obsolete, and it's obsolete if we don't see the relevance it has for our lives. So let's think it through maybe a different way than we have for the last almost four years. Here's the message. We have a problem. All of us do. Our sin separates us from holy God. Isaiah would talk about that in chapter 59, verse 2, and Paul would reiterate it in Romans 3, 23, and many other places in Scripture. But we have a problem. Our sin separates us from God, and that's why when Adam and Eve sinned, they were banished from the presence of God. God has the solution. We have a problem, but God has the solution. Not a solution, but the solution, because there's Jesus Christ is our only hope. We see that in John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will go down this path to eternal life and won't go down this path and perish. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So maybe it's time for me to simplify what I've been saying for the last number of years. We have a problem. God has a solution. Our response determines our outcome. Our response determines our outcome. It's more than just about heaven and earth, but it's nothing less than that. In John 3.16, it creates a fork in the road for all of us. We can go down this pathway by believing in Christ and experience eternal life, or we can go down this pathway by choosing not to believe in him. Either way is a response, and that response will determine the outcome of our eternity as well as our life here. Let me try to net it out with just a word picture. One of the most famous statements made in the 20th century was stated by Jim Lovell on Apollo 13, two-thirds of the way to the moon, in which he called out, Houston, we have a problem. And because he said that, Mission Control would say, let's put together a plan. What would we remember about the Apollo 13 if Jim Lovell said, I think we're fine, we don't have a problem. We could probably still land on the moon. We've lost our oxygen, but it's not a problem. Where would they be today? It would not have worked. But they said, we have a problem. They acknowledged that. A plan was put into place, and they survived. I think for a lot of people, they look at the sinfulness in their own lives, and they say, I don't really have a problem. We do, and God has a solution. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Friend, if you have never invited him to be your Lord and Savior, I pray that your response would be today. You need it. If you're not yet a Christian, that's the greatest need of your life. And if you're already a Christian, the greatest need of your life 
is to tell someone. Because everybody has a problem with sin. So let's pray together. Lord, we look at the vastness of Genesis and we're reminded that in all that is said and done, it points us in the direction of you. I pray that if anyone listening now in this room or online that has never received you as Lord and Savior, that they would recognize today how desperate they are for you, that they would acknowledge the problem of sin in their life and accept your solution of Jesus Christ being our only hope. Might they voice a prayer similar to this to enter into a relationship with you? Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Father, thank you that from the very beginning you had a plan. It wasn't something that you created on the fly. Before, before you spoke the world into existence, you knew the outcome and you knew the rescue that we would need. And you knew that Jesus Christ would be our only hope. Help us as Christians to live as if Jesus truly is the only hope of the world. Thank you for this church family, all that it represents. God, as we look out here, I pray that this would be a Genesis moment for our church, a time of beginnings, new beginnings, to recognize that this core and central message of humanity cannot lay dormant. We must spread it as far and as wide as we can. Give us a burden for those around us that don't yet know you, that don't yet understand their desperate need for you. And may we share the truth of who Christ is. May your favor and blessing be upon each one in this church family. Help us to truly surrender all that we are and all that we have to you. In your name we pray. Amen. We're just going to sing you out today. Instead of singing through the song, we're just going to sing you out. The musicians will sing as we stand together and begin to exit the place. But know that we will be standing out in the foyer, the atrium. If you have a decision that you would like to make, somebody that you would like to pray for you, uh, you need any spiritual guidance or help. But I pray as we go through 2024 that God would guide us into deeper and deeper relationship with him. God bless you. You're dismissed.